Well, Cedar Street, again, I love you very much. It is the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. Cannot believe we are in the month of May. <laughs> How does that happen? Um, time, time is flying by, but it's been great to, to walk with all of you and uh, as we continue to walk together in our journey with the Lord. We, um, a couple of weeks ago, of course, finished a sermon series in the book of Proverbs called Weighing Our Words, and ever since then, we've been kind of going in 10,000 different directions. We're so blessed last week. Uh, Jim Savage gave us a wonderful challenge and charge to jump off the platform as he told us about our missions ministry. Uh, right before Easter, Dave gave us a great charge to remember who it is that Jesus Christ is and His humanity and His deity. We're coming close to, uh, of course, Mother's Day next week, and so I thought I would preach one message, kind of a standalone message here today that's not part of a series. And of course, next week will be Mother's Day, and then the week after unless the Spirit of God moves me in a different direction, which He has already done this year and may do again, I, I believe we're going to start a new series in the book of 1 Peter. So we'll wait and see if that's where God leads. But today, today I thought we would uh, have just a, a, a brief word in the book of Psalms, and we would consider the God that we pray to. Do we know Him? Do we know Him? Here's, here's the deal. On Sunday nights, for the past couple of months, we've been doing a series entitled Getting to Know God, and we've talked about all these characteristics and all these attributes of God. And so here this morning, we, uh, we're going to talk about, do we know Him? Do we know Him? Um, I want to start by sharing a story. So uh, back, this would have been 17 years ago. Okay, this was back in, uh, gosh, 2002. It's hard to believe this. It was my first job as a sportscaster uh, for a local radio station in Hinesville, Georgia. It was 104.7. Back then it was a Fox Sports affiliate called 104 The Score. And they were an an up-and-coming station. They didn't have enough money to pay a professional, so they went to Georgia Southern and got a bunch of college students. And uh, I was one of those college students. I was the sports director of this tiny little student radio station, so they gave me my own Friday night high school scoreboard show and my own Saturday morning college tailgate show. In fact, I still remember the Friday night show because I had to say on the hour, every hour, it's the St. Joseph Candler High School scoreboard presented by Dr. John George Heritage Bank and WSAV only on 104 The Score, and we're talking sports. (laughs) I had to say that uh, every single Friday night. Well, Saturday morning was actually the show that I started uh, gathering a following as, as all the families were heading off to tailgate for Georgia Southern or for SEC football games. They'd call into the show, and, and it's a 25,000-watt station, so you could get all the way close to Jacksonville, Florida. It was, it was great. But guess what happened? One week, the owner asked me to, uh, to do a live remote, to go to one of our sponsors and set up a table and broadcast and get a chance to meet the listeners. It was a very humbling experience. And the reason why is most of these men who had been calling me every single Saturday morning thought they were talking to some radio personality in his 30s or 40s who was a professional. And as they all showed up at the, uh, I think it was a car dealership, began to meet me and I shook their hands, they all gave me this wonderful look of disappointment. (laughs) One of them came up to me and said, you're Bo? You're Bo? You're just a child. And I thought, well, that's real good for the ego. And one by one, I watched them walk back to their cars, and they realized they were not talking to some big-time radio personality. They were talking to a starving college student who, by the way, wasn't even getting paid with real money. I was getting paid with Mick Bucks because the owner of the radio station also owned a McDonald's. Uh, 
Here's the reason I bring up this story. They did not know who they were talking to. When they called into the show, they had a bigger view of me than they should have. They thought I was a big-time radio personality. They didn't know I was just a 22-year-old college student. When it comes to prayer, we have the exact opposite problem. We, we think of God as the, as the uh, starving college student, and we forget He's big-time. We have too small a view of God when we pray. We don't fully understand the God that we're praying to, and that's why it affects the way that we pray, and it affects if we even pray at all. And so the battle of our hearts is to see God for who He is. Because if we get a closer look at God and we understand who He is, it will transform the way that we pray and the life that we live. So the title of our message here this morning, as you see up on the screen, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? You know, uh, in our Sunday night study, I shared this famous quote. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says, what comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When I say the word God, whatever comes into your mind about that idea of who God is, that is the single most important thing about you. And so we need to know God rightly so that we can worship Him rightly as well. So, what's our big idea? In one sentence, here it is. When you know who you're talking to, it will transform your heart, your prayers, and your relationship with God. When you know who you're talking to, it will transform your heart, your prayers, and your relationship with God. So if you have a Bible, please join me in the book of Psalms. Okay, we'll be in Psalm 36. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible in front of you. Or beside you, it's uh, page 549 in your pew Bibles. Again, Psalm 36, we'll be uh, reading the whole psalm, but we'll be focusing in on verses 5 through 9. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reading and the reverence of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we're in Psalm 36. I'm going to read the entire psalm, but then we're going we're to look down very closely at verses 5 through 9. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There are evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day, but we confess that we, 
We don't know you as we ought to know you. We pray this morning according to your word and by the power of your spirit and because of the blood of your son that you would open our eyes to see you for who you really are, that this would be a true time of worship and a true time that deepens our walk with you and our prayers to you and our trust in you. Help us in the short time that we have left here this morning to consider the truth of this passage and get to know the one that we're talking to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Psalm 36, of course, one of the many psalms of the Psalter written by uh, King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to be focusing in on verses 5 through 9, but I want us to see the real heartbeat of this passage is David saying, there's a bunch of people that don't know you, but here's how people who do know you act. And here's what you do for the people who do know you. In verses 1 through 4, he highlights all the people that do not know him, that they're wicked and they have no fear of God and they flatter themselves and they're always in trouble and deceit and they cease to act wisely and do good. And then in verses 5 through 12, he closes out by talking who God really is and then what God does for those that know him. And one of the key verses in the passage is verse 10. He says, Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. So we're in a battle. Right now you're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And it's a battle to see God as He truly is. There's an entire world of people that claim to know God, and they don't know Him from a hole in the wall. And what scares me even more is there are droves of churches all over the world where people are gathering together Sunday after Sunday, and they're singing the same songs, and they're saying the same things, but they don't know God. And if they do know Him, if they've been saved by the blood of Jesus, they've remained babies on the milk. They've never grown in their understanding of who God is. Now here's the deal. I'm not coming to you as someone who has infinite knowledge on this topic. All right, There's an aspect of God that I myself do not know, and I will not know until you and I are standing arm in arm at the foot of His throne, crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God and the Lamb. When we get that vision, when we finally see God without any filters at all, we will finally know the truth and we will be truly set free. Until then, we're on a journey together. And part of that journey is getting to know who God is, that when you close your eyes, who are you picturing? I'm not talking about an image but the type of person that you believe that you're talking to. Do you know Him? Now, all of us, because of our personalities and our upbringings and the teachers that have poured into us, we probably are strong in some areas and weaker in others. But this one passage actually is a good summary of things that we've talked about for like 12 weeks on Sunday nights about who is God. So I'm going to give you 12 weeks and 20 minutes and hopefully at least give you one aspect of God that maybe you haven't thought of in a long time. That will change the way that you pray, maybe the way that you worship, the way that you live, the way that you trust Him with your life, with your family, with your finances, with your job, with your time, with your energy. Do you know who you're talking to? Let's let's consider that together as we walk through the passage. So I want to offer just a few of God's glorious attributes that we can know more about. So number one, do you know you're talking to a father of love and faithfulness? Do you know that you're talking to a father of love and faithfulness? Verse 5 says this, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. J.I. Packer in his famous book, Knowing God, has this one simple sentence. To know the love of God is heaven on earth. 
Can I tell you this right now? I know what you think you need. We all think we need something. And there's a lot of things that we want. But every, I, without even knowing your situation, without knowing your story, without, without knowing your health, your finances, your job, your, your mortgage payment, without knowing any of that, I can tell you right now what you need. You need to know the love of God. There's nothing that you need right now more than that. You need to know and receive and be transformed by His love. And what do I mean by love? Well, I believe one of the things that we need to say when we're talking about love is that the Bible defines love a lot differently than we do. Perhaps you've heard me say this more than one time. We as human beings and specifically as Americans in 2019, we've turned love into an emotion. Love is affection. Love is that feel-good, warm and fuzzy. And what happens is when people hurt us, we say we no longer love them because we no longer have those feelings. And when we do something awful, we think that God no longer loves us because we think He's lost those warm and fuzzy feelings. However, that's not how God defines love. I would define love according to the Word of God this way. Love is a self-sacrificial commitment to unconditionally pursuing someone's greatest good for God's greatest glory. So let me tell you what I mean by that. When I say I love you, that means I'm committed to your very best and what will honor God the most. And you may not love me back. You may not even like me. I may say something to offend you. You may say something to offend me. We may have harsh feelings. Feelings change. But love doesn't. It's an eternal commitment to somebody's greatest good and God's greatest glory. And when God says He loves you, are there feelings attached to that? Yes, God's a God of emotion. It says in the Old Testament that over His people, He sings and delights and is glorified and that our our worship is a pleasing aroma. So He does have affections. Absolutely God does. However, His love is not dependent upon that. All right? When God says He loves you, it means He's committed to your greatest good. All right? Now, it doesn't feel that way in the moment because God oftentimes lets things happen that are not good but He works them together for good because that's who He is. He's committed to doing whatever it takes for you to become the person He intended for you to be so that you would have the joy and He would have the glory. He loves you. The kind of love that leaves the the 99 and goes after the lost sheep, that's the love of God. Sacrificial commitment. All right, God is love. It's not just that He's loving. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And He demonstrates it through Jesus Christ. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down His life for His friends. That's the love of God. And we forget how much He loves us because we cheapen that love. We think it's nothing but emotions. And so either A, we think that we're just worthy of His love, which we're unworthy, or we're, we feel guilty because of our sin and we think we've lost His love. But His love is not dependent on us. It's dependent on Him and His own character. He loves you because that's who He is. But not only is He loving, He's also faithful. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust Him with your life, your heart, your soul, your resources. Again, it doesn't mean He's going to do everything you want Him to do, but He's going to do what you need because He loves you and He knows what's best for you. 
All right, he's faithful when he says he's going to do something, he, he does it. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And every Sunday morning in this sanctuary, we recite the words of 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever because he's faithful. He's true. He's trustworthy. He does not change. He's eternally good. That's who He is. So let me ask you, do you know that you're talking to a God of love and faithfulness? When you pray, do you know that's the God that you're talking to? Do you think you're talking to a God that fell out of love with you because it was an emotion instead of a commitment? Do you think you're talking to a God that's making promises that He cannot keep? I will say this, there's a lot of people that are let down by God only because they don't understand who God is. And they don't understand His intention and His will. God always stands by His Word. What's happening is the world is telling people what God has promised when He has not. God has not promised us a smooth ride. He's promised us a safe landing. That's who God is. But He loves you. And He's faithful to see your greatest good. Do you know that when you're praying to Him? when you're going through the struggles that you're going through right now and you're wondering how certain things are going on and how that God could allow that to happen, He would allow things to happen because it's ultimately going to work together for a greater good if it, if it did not happen. And that's how we have to see it when we pray. He is loving and faithful and He's worthy of our worship because of that. So number one, do you know you're talking to a Father of love and faithfulness? Number two, do you know you're talking to a creator of righteousness and justice? So, so far, some of you are saying, amen, Brother Bo. God is love. God is love, 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 love. And some of you have been singing that a long time. Well, let me show you the other side of the coin. He's a creator who's righteous and perfect and a God of justice who cannot and will not tolerate sin. Verse 6 says, Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. So what does it mean when God's righteous? What does that mean? Well, I think it means that He has a perfect moral character and an unwavering standard of holiness. God doesn't budge on what is right. God can't be compromised. When it comes to God, there are no backdoor deals. There's, all right, there's no winking at things that most of us would say are acceptable or even respectable sins. He's perfect. And again, He's loving. But at the other side, He's righteous and holy. And he, He's not going to stop loving you because of your sin, but in His righteousness, He will deal with you in justice. That's the other aspect of it. Justice reinforces His holy standards. And He responds to all of us perfectly. When when God says that He's just in His Word, when David proclaims, God, you are just, what He's saying is, God, you respond to each of us perfectly. There's never a time when He says or does something that He should have done something different. He responds to each of us perfectly. He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's doing. He's holy and He's righteous and He's just. And part of that justice means at the end of our lives, He will judge us perfectly. You know what I believe? Even for those that are sent to the gates of hell, when we stand before God at our day of judgment, I think the the, the feeling that all of us are going to feel 
is overwhelmed with how perfect his judgment is. That he's not going to overlook anything. And he's not going to reward those or punish those who did not do anything worthy of that reward or that punishment because he will perfectly judge each of us because he is just. But in the midst of all that, he cares. He cares for all of his creation. It says, man and beast you save, O God. That's just a way for David to say he cares about every single creature of the planet that he created. Cares about them all. Especially his covenant people. As we get into uh, verse 5 and, and, and on through verse 9, we, we see over and over David's talking about this special love, this special care for those that he's called unto himself as his covenant people. And in the Old Testament, that is Israel. And in the New Testament, that, of course, is his church. So I want to ask you this. Do you know that you're talking to a God of righteousness and justice? All right, so when you're praying, all right, I know that God's love and He loves me, and He's committed to my greatest good, and He is faithful, and when He promises He's going to do something, He does it. All right, so God is for me, and if He's for me, who can be against me? So, so far we're loving this, but then we're praying, and we know that God's also righteous and just. That means I need to be confessing sin to Him, because even though He loves me, He still will not tolerate my lifestyle when I'm living in sin, and He will still punish all right, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no more eternal condemnation, so we don't need to fear losing our salvation. But what we should fear is a loving Father who will discipline us severely. All right, because just because He loves us does not mean there will not be consequences. The best parents and grandparents in this room knew how to discipline their children. And you didn't do it because you didn't love them, you do it because you do love them. And so, do we know that when we're praying to God that He's righteous? And he probably did not approve of something that we said, thought, or did in that day. But if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and make us new. So we we know that we're talking to a God of love and of faithfulness, of righteousness and of justice. Number three, do you know that you're talking to a refuge of protection and provision? Listen to verses 7 through 8. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Those are all beautiful images that uh, David, inspired the Holy Spirit, shares with us that this is who God is. He's a God that we go to as a refuge for protection. For protection. You know, there's so much of this world that just doesn't make sense. And the reason why is we're broken. Think about the spiritual pains that we face every day, the people that hurt us deeply, the relationships that are shattered. In a room this size, there's got to be 50 to 100 relationships right now that are strained or shattered or broken and need healing. We hurt, and where do we go? If we don't know God, we're not going to go to Him. But David says we can find refuge in the shadow of His wings. We can climb at the edge of our bed and just get on our knees and lift our hearts up to God and say, God, praise you that you know every ounce of pain that I feel and you love me and you're walking with me through this right now. Again, protection does not mean that he shields us from all pain. Again, I go back to you as parents and grandparents. You know sometimes it is good and right to enable your children or grandchildren to experience some pain. It's not that I find joy in my daughter falling and scraping up her knees, but that's how she has to learn. That's how we learned. That's how God spiritually continues to let us learn. 
All right? Sometimes he leads us into situations where we're going to experience pain. But he's there as a refuge for us to go to, to cry out to, and know that he's with us and he walks with us and loves us and will carry us through. And not only will he protect us from things that are not good for us, he will also provide for us. All right? He gives us the abundance of his house and drink from the river of his delights. He provides us with what we need, most of all, himself. Himself. He gives us Himself. You know, there, there are days in the greatest struggles that I have that I go to prayer and I just, I cry out to God and through the Holy Spirit I'm, I'm reminded He's with me. The greatest thing that He has provided me is His presence. Psalm 1611, in your presence there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What could we not go through if God is with us? He's with us. He provides for us. Do you know that you're talking to a God who protects and provides? Do you know that? Again, maybe you've turned God into a slot machine and you've been pumping quarters in for a while. You've been praying for certain things that aren't happening and you begin to think God can't hear your prayers. Well, there's a a couple of different reasons why maybe you haven't received what you wanted. Number one, maybe it's because it's not what you need and it's not what will ultimately bring you the greatest good. And number two, it might be because you forgot his righteousness and you're not living for him. All right, our sin hinders our prayer life. God says, I love you, but I'm not gonna fully listen to you until you turn away from this lifestyle. So maybe we know his love and his protection, his provision, but we gotta go back to his righteousness. I don't know what it is for you, but we need to remember that God's all of these things at one time. All of these things at one time. So he's a father of love and faithfulness. He's a creator of righteousness and justice. He's a refuge of protection and provision. And fourth and finally, do you know you're talking to a source of life and light? Listen to verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. You know, when I think of this idea of a fountain of life, I just go back in my mind to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 when he was creating human beings. And it says in verse 7, the Lord formed man of, the, of dust from the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. God is the author of life, not death. People look at the world and they see these horrific deaths and all of you have lost loved ones, immediate family members, and you begin to question how God could let that happen. And I just want to say this. When God created the world, there was no death. It was nothing but life. There was no darkness. There was nothing but light. Why is there death and why is there darkness? Human beings, sin. Sin is why we die. Sin is why we have death and disease and separation. Sin is why we see so much darkness on the news and the newspaper. And sin is why we experience these types of pain. God's not the author of that, but he gave us the free will to be able to choose that type of life. And when we choose sin, guess what comes with it? death. But God is not a God of death. He's a God of life. He breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam and said, live and prosper and go and subdue the earth and and fill it with other creatures made in my image. That was his will. We're the ones that blew it. But even as we've blown it, let's not forget who he is. He brings life. And for those of us who are born again, he brings new life. He's the author of life. He wants to see us living and thriving. 
I remember the, an old theologian in the early church, I don't remember his name right now, but second or third century theologian said, uh, the glory of God is man fully alive. And we can only be fully alive when we draw close to the author of life. And he's life and he's light, a radiant light. Jesus himself said in 1 John 1 uh, verse 5, or the Apostle John said this about Jesus, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Here's the, here's the scary part. Every human being in this room has darkness. Every single one of us. Have you, have you ever had someone who you really thought a lot of let you down? And the thought you had is, can I trust anybody? You know who you can trust? You can trust God. Now, I hope that we can live lives where people can grow in their trust of us, but we're all sinful. We all have areas of darkness. We all have those buttons. And if you need any reminder of what those buttons are, ask your spouse, because your spouse knows you better than any other human being on the planet. There's about four or five things that if they're brought to my attention will point to a part of my heart where there's still darkness. Pride will rise to the surface. The deepest insecurities that I have will rise to the surface because I am not 100% light yet. Not until I see Jesus and I'm with Him in the kingdom. And the same for you. But the God that we worship, He's all light. There's no evil scheme. All right, There's no God behind the curtain. There's no false wizard of Oz who is pretending to be somebody he's not, and he's got an evil scheme, and he finds joy in watching us suffer. That's not who God is. He's a God of light. And Jesus Christ came as light into a dark world. And for those of us who are born again, he sends us back into that world as salt and light because that is who he is, and that's how we represent him. Do you know that you're talking to a God of life and light? Is there an area of your own life right now that's not living but dying? That you're struggling for purpose and direction. And you see a lot of darkness, but you don't see a lot of light. I would, I would encourage you to go back to the Lord. Open up these passages and read them and, 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 and pour them into your heart and pray them out to God and, and ask Him to show you how it is that He is a God of life and a God of light. Maybe sometimes the best thing we can do is go to the end of the book and find out in Revelation where it is that we're headed. You know, people say that people that are too heavenly minded are no earthly good. I, I think the exact opposite is true. If we don't have a mind on heaven, we'll never be any good here on earth. We need to know who God is and where we're headed. And let that give us joy. That He's a God of life and He's a God of light. And as dark as the world gets, He's not affected by it. We can't compromise His character. He's perfect in every way. So when I pray, the one that I'm talking to, I can know for sure He's what I need. He's a Father. He's loving and faithful. All right, he's a judge who is righteous and just. He's a refuge who protects and provides. And of course, we remember that He's the source of life and light. So how do I land the plane on this idea of getting to know God? Well, I'd say it in one sentence. Here it is. You can know who you're talking to only through Christ who came to show us and to save us. Let me say it again. You can know who you're talking to only through Christ who came to show us and to save us. Let me talk first about showing us. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And it's funny how the apostles missed this when they were following Christ. All his disciples, they constantly forgot that he was God in human flesh and that when they saw him, what they were really seeing was the Father as well because he's God in humanity. If you want to know what God is like, God's like Jesus. Jesus says, my Father and I are one and the same. Look at me and you'll know him. So to know God, we have to know Jesus Christ. There are millions of people in the world today that claim to know God and they bow their head and worship someone who is not God because they don't know Jesus, the Son of God who came to show us who God is. You have to know Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Most of you know this by heart. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You cannot know God if you do not know Jesus, because He's the light that came into this dark world to show us who God is. And not only did He came to show us, He came to save us. John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, another popular passage most of you have written on your hearts. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So if you're sitting in the pew right now and you're saying, how do I know if I know God? Here's your answer. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? I'm not talking about praying a sinner's prayer. I'm not talking about signing an evangelistic card. I'm not talking about attending VBS or being part of a Sunday school. All those things could be byproducts of the fact that you do know Him. All those things are good. But do you know Him, not about Him? Do you know Jesus? Is He the Savior of your life and soul? Do you trust Him now more than you've ever trusted Him before? Not only for your salvation, but for your sanctification, how you're changing and how you're growing and how you're becoming more like Him every day. Do you know Him? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do not know Him, you will never know God because He says He Himself is the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through Him. And he himself says, if you do know him, you know his father also. You've known him and you see him. So let me just close by saying this. I know it's really hard when we pray to try to consider all these things at one time. But I I find in my own life, maybe this is true for you, there's times in my prayer where I lean heavy on his love because I need it. There's other times in my prayer, especially when I'm confessing sin, when I'm right here every Sunday morning leading us in confession, you know when I'm remembering? His righteousness. And if He doesn't cleanse me and confess me, or or cleanse me from my confession, then I shouldn't even be standing behind a pulpit preaching the Word of God to you. I, I cannot make myself holy and righteous. Only by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ am I declared holy and righteous. I myself have to confess where I'm not righteous and seek His continual cleansing. So when I pray asking for forgiveness, I'm reminded that He's righteous and holy. And when I'm in trouble and I'm struggling and I'm looking for hope, I'm reminded that He's a protector and He's a provider. 
And when I'm in complete despair watching the news, thinking about the future of our country, I remind myself that He is life and He is light. So I have to cling to Him. And so do you. One of my prayers when I thought about being a pastor was that I would lead a church where I could say, you know what? There's a lot of people in that congregation that really know God. There are many of you that have helped me in my understanding of God. I see so much of Christ in so many of you and it helps me and inspires me and it motivates me to do more ministry because I want to be a disciple who makes disciples like we talked about this morning. But I want to challenge you to keep growing in your walk with God and know who you're talking to when you pray. Close your eyes and say, God, I want to know you. Help me to know your love and help me to know your righteousness and help me to know your justice and your faithfulness and your protection and your provision and your life and your light. And respond in faith when he shows you who he is. And you'll begin to know him in a different way. And when you know God, you want to spend time with him. Last thing I'll say as we enter into a time of invitation is when you don't pray, and read the scriptures and have your quiet time, whatever that looks like. For some of you, it may be 15 minutes at the table with a cup of coffee before you go to work. Some of you may be sitting on the front porch. For those of you that are retired, you thought you'd have a lot more time to do that. You probably still don't have the time that you thought you did, right? Whatever the case may be, sometimes the way that we know God is how we feel when we miss those times. All right, when you miss that devotional time, are you guilty? Do you just wrapped up with guilt, man, I got to be in the Word, I got to be in prayer, I got to be this, 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 or do you just miss a person? God, I just miss being with you today. Sometimes I have to remind myself as a pastor, maybe this is you, as much as I'm trying to do my best to be a good pastor, as much as I'm trying to be a good husband and a good father, and I'm praying about what my family needs and what my church needs, and I'm thinking about all these programs and what I'm going to preach and what I'm going to teach and who I'm going to go visit and what hospitals have this and who has this and who has this, and I just sit at, the table, at my desk and I say, God, I am a failure. I remind myself in the Scriptures that it says, I am His workmanship before I am called to do any work at all. I need to be before I do. Same with you. You need to be a child of God before you do the work that a child of God does. And you do that by knowing who God is and just spending time with Him. My invitation to you this morning is this. If you do not know God, it's because you do not know Jesus and you must be born again. You must respond to the preaching of the message that you have heard this morning by believing and confessing that Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead and giving your life to Him. But if you are a believer, my invitation to you is this. Spend time with Him. Not in a guilty way, not in a trying to check off the box, but just spend time and say, God, I want to meet you. I want to know you. I want to learn about who you are. Help me. Surround me with people that know you better than I do. Help me to understand the Word that reveals who you are. Help me to be open to the Spirit who opens my eyes to see you in a greater way. If that's the desire of your heart, God's going to answer that. And you know how I know that? Because He's a God of love and faithfulness and righteousness and justice. He's a protector, a provider. He's life and He's light and He will answer that prayer every single time. So as we enter this invitation, let us go to a God that we can say we know and no longer a God that we say, do we know who we're talking to? Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you.
We need you more than we think that we need anything else. We need you more than whatever's been heavy on our heart here this morning. Whatever is situation, whatever struggle, whatever frustration, Lord, we need you more. Our answer is you. And we need to know you. And we can't do it in our own strength. It must be the work of Christ and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son, that you would remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, that you would open our eyes to see who you truly are, that we could respond in repentance and faith and spend time with you and know that you are a loving and faithful Father, that you are a righteous and just Creator, that you are a good provider and protector, and that you're the source and the author of life and of light. Help us to know you so that we may love you, that we may serve you and be transformed by you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.